And let us turn now for a little portion of scripture we read together, looking for the Lord's help, without which we can do nothing. Let's try, uh, try and consider the words you find in um, at verse 4 and 5. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now I'm going to try and continue our consideration uh, of the theme of our Lord's sermon uh, recorded here for us in which he uh, addressed some of the fears uh, to which his disciples uh, would be vulnerable as they would shortly be going forth um, uh, to uh, fulfill the Lord's own mandate recorded for us uh, in the Gospel of Matthew when he says uh, go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel. Worship uh, very familiar with. Well, very soon uh, they were going to hear that mandate and endeavor to fulfill it. And it was with that prospect that the Lord seeks to prepare their, their, their minds and their hearts in these, uh, these uh, particular warnings. And um, of course, these fears uh, should uh, should not and cannot be confined to the early uh, disciples. They are still relevant uh, today, and that consideration still apt even for ourselves as we live out our lives in this uh, remote part of. Uh, the world and seek uh, to promote the gospel and its interests. We trust and pray that the Lord will be pleased uh, to bless our continued considerations then of this passage that we may be likewise all the more equipped for the promotion of the glorious, this glorious gospel, even in our own corner of the world. See how uh, the Apostle Paul um, speaks of that uh, in the Epistle to the Ephesians and chapter 4 at verse 10. He says, concerning the uh, condescension and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, that is Christ, who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
and that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro uh, with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting and so on and this is part of the equipping then um, of Christ of his own uh, disciples and he puts them on the one hand on alert with regard to themselves but also with regard to the opposition that they most certainly are going to face and experience when they go forth with his, in his name with the gospel and that is still true even uh, to this uh, very day now he mentions I feel anyway you may not agree with me uh, he mentions uh, four fears and how to deal with them and in this passage um, the four fear four fears mentioned are one the fear of self at the beginning there to beware of hypocrisy and their own tendency uh, their own um, inclination uh, to be hypocritical and that's a danger that we're all um, open to just as I, 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 I quoted from Jeremiah the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked that's your heart that's my heart and we need to be delivered from its deceit and we dealt tried at least to deal with that uh, particular fear in the morning and the other three uh, fears are first of all is it the fear of self the fear of man uh, and uh, the fear of God when we have these two fears uh, in, 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 uh, particularly in verses 4 and 5 and also you can say the fear of like the powers of uh, that be the fear of authorities that would exercise their authority uh, in order to oppose uh, the gospel but we'll particularly try to deal with it. these two fears the fear of the fear of man and the fear uh, of uh, God uh, that is the, the fear of uh, the opposition uh, the opposition of man in the form and in the extent of persecution uh, persecution even to the point of endangering their very uh, their very lives uh, isn't it extraordinary the opposition that is in the heart of men the world over, men and women, uh, by, uh, by, by nature. The very people that are in most need of this gospel of salvation. And uh, in dire need of it. Because there is no cure for their disease your disease and my disease no cure for it on earth there is only one cure for it and there is only one certain cure of it for it and that is the salvation that is through the Lord Jesus Christ as scripture test there is there is salvation in none other none other or in any other way. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved if we're to be saved at all. If we don't receive, accept, trust in this Christ, we'll perish in our sin. And perhaps if we get on later on, 
will consider what that involves. Because that's uh, in, uh, extraordinary that it should, it should it, the gospel and that the preacher of the gospel should meet this opposition. Wouldn't it be very strange if you had, say, a, a group of people and they had some kind of deadly disease and you had uh, a medication that could heal them and instead of welcoming you, they would, be, uh, they would show you their animosity, their very hatred, that they would go so far in their hatred that they would put you to death. Is it sin? Sin. Irrational. Uh, the Apostle John defines sin is lawlessness. And here is an aspect of that lawlessness uh, in, our, in our minds and in our hearts that it arouses and evokes the hatred, the animosity that would even go to the extent of murdering putting to death the very one who has the good news of sin. Is that not what the world did to the Saviour himself? He came unto his own and his own received him not. That's how John puts it in, in, in the introduction uh, to his gospel. His own. Okay, pagans heathen, Gentiles who were ignorant, never heard or, or at least uh, had no um, knowledge of God and God's revelation worshipping their own idols and doing their own thing well, when Christ came you might say, well, little wonder though they, uh, they didn't, didn't receive him but when he came to the very people, the Jews, Israel, who had been down through the centuries in their history, being educated, being prepared by prophets for the, the coming of the Messiah and for the reception of the Messiah. But when he came to them, he came to his own because the Jews were in he, he, uh, Christ is of the Jews the Messiah is of the Jews his own very kith and kin you can say of his own blood when he came to them they crucified him put him to a cruel death <clears throat> with and unjustly so what does that tell us about human nature. And friends, we're not talking about somebody else's, other people's human nature. These bad people out there, that's your heart and my heart. Left to ourselves. That's the kind of people we are by nature. Tell me, do we not need to be saved? We sure do. We sure. Oh, um, this then, um, fear of the opposition that uh, ordinary men and women, what cruelties they can inflict upon other human beings and, and especially upon Christians. On other human beings, see the cruelty that's going on in the Ukraine. Perhaps Perhaps, I'm sure most of you have been watching the news on your televisions. Have you seen recently uh, <coughs> a scene of that wicked man, Putin, sitting along with guests in some nice uh, decorated room and a table of provisions set before them, grinning from year to year, as they say. When hundreds were being slaughtered, dispatched, and many of them 
in a very cruel way with rockets and what have you. Houses falling and being blown to smithereens. It wasn't causing him a single thought. It didn't bring any furrow to his brow. Where is that man's conscience? What crass ignorance blindness controls his mind and his soul. Oh, um, the, the depths to which sin brings human beings. Who can fathom it? Who can fathom it? This is indeed then the proof of the ruined condition of the of human nature and of the heart of man. How we need by nature to have the as the prophet uh, as the prophet Ezekiel says God promised that he would take away the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and write his law on their minds and put his spirit within. That's the radical change that we all need by nature. We need to be born again, made new creatures in Christ Jesus. For except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Unless we're changed radically inside out, you can say. We will never enter the kingdom. How, how superficial we treat our foreign condition. Our, our, our condition as sinners. Oh, friends... It's an awful state. An awful state. There is no human, no matter how brilliant his intelligence, his intelligence, there's no human that could or can devise another way of changing human nature for the better than the way that we find in the gospel. Remember, the scripture says about the Lord Jesus Christ that he is both the power and the wisdom of God. The plan of salvation, friends. The more we look into it, the more we consider it. Consider it. You can't but conclude only infinite divine wisdom could devise it. You think of it that on the one hand the one who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity and will by no means clear the guilty that is the guilty that persists in his guilt and in his sin and refuses to repent, God will by no means clear him. How the one who is perfect holiness, perfectly righteous, perfectly just, can't tolerate the least the least um, twisting of justice and truth. How could such a being, such a person, ever uh, find a way whereby the most corrupt, the most rebellious, the most defiled individual, that he could freely forgive him? all his 
his or her sin freely and do it right do it rightly do it justly so that no power in heaven or in hell could find fault with what he did when he freely pardons the most healthy serving sinner so that someone like the thief on the cross who had who had just thrown himself into sin so much that even his fellow sinners thought that all he was all he deserved was to be hung on a cruel cross and yet he cried in the moment of his need to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross beside him Lord remember me when you come in your kingdom and what did he say Away you go. You must be out of your mind. Look at you. Who are you? What have you done? Why are you on this cross? No. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today with me in paradise. What wonderful grace. What wonderful mercy. And the ordinary man and woman look. That's not just. How can he how can he do that? He can do that because the Lord Jesus Christ, by his obedience, his obedience even unto the cursed death of the cross, fulfilled he fulfilled. On the one hand, all the possible righteous demands of God on our lives to be. He fulfilled that. He fulfilled all righteousness, no matter what aspect, no matter what angle you look at or consider the requirement of righteousness. He fulfilled it all to the letter. But equally equally important, he endured the penalty of sin. And every sin, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in the life to come, forever and ever and ever. He met the, 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 the penalty that uh, sin and not just sin of one individual but the sin of countless individuals. He met it in his own soul and especially especially on the cross and what an awful experience that must have been when in the agony of his soul he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me (coughs) but that is what he had to endure the penalty the suffering the curse due to due to sin and to our sin to the sin of his own elect people. He didn't endure it extensively or he would be suffering it still but he did endure it intensively. Now can, can we take that in? That at that time on the cross he endured you can say an eternity of suffering in his own soul so that he drank the cup that the father gave him to drink metaphorically speaking he drank it to its last drop there was not another drop left in the cup not another element of the curse of God due to us for sin. 
left. He left it all. He paid the penalty of our sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. There is healing in Christ and him crucified. There is balm in Gilead. In the metaphorical words of the Song of Solomon. Balm in Gilead that can cure every disease. There is a physician there. And no disease ever um, um, no, no disease ever baffled him or was beyond his competence to heal. And friend, it is to that it is to that Saviour that the gospel directs yourself and myself. None perish who trust in him. I think I've I've gone off on a tangent somewhat. But anyway, let's hope and pray that that was of some good to some some soul. But I was speaking of uh, the the fear of man, fear of man's uh, fear of man's perse- persecution, and of course, it's not new. It's not new. It's some of old, old history. Would you believe it? Goes right back to the beginning of creation itself. We see it, for instance, in the family of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel. What did Cain do to Abel? He murdered his own brother. There's the persecution. Why did he do it? Well, as um, uh, in just the Apostle John says, Wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil. And his brother's righteous. There you have it. The spirit of persecution, animosity, and hatred towards righteousness, towards goodness, towards holiness, towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, and towards the Christ of the gospel. That's the animosity, and that's of the natural uh, heart of man. That is the fruit of man's fallen nature and do we not need to be delivered from it and there's only one who can and that is the Lord uh, Jesus uh, Lord Jesus Christ it's not new Um, if you read in the epistle uh, in the epistle to the Hebrews just bear with me a in that um, wonderful chapter records the heroes of the faith uh, chapter 11 and verse 36 we read still having made a list of the, those who were suffering still others have trial of mockings and scourgings yes and of chains and imprisonment. Now listen to this. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted. Were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being de- being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worth. Yeah. That's the testimony of the inspired word of God that's God's estimator how different is it to the estimate of these cruel persecutors you think of 
the persecution of Christians in, in other parts of the world and uh, the cruelties they inflict upon poor helpless uh, Christians in, in, in many instances we've got instances of it in the scriptures itself you think of you think of the Apostle Paul, how he was breathing out cruelties again, and how he he um, joined and uh, agreed with. Uh, we don't know if he actually participated in the actual story story of uh, St- uh, Stephen and put him uh, put him to death. Think um, near our own history. The martyrs uh, at, at the time of the Reformation, the Covenanters, uh, uh, James Rennick, for instance, the last Covenanter to be uh, to be put to death, and then that poignant story of the two Margarets and the Solway, uh, the drowning. Uh, but it's still, uh, still, still near. In other forms, not necessarily doesn't need to be physical persecution. There is uh, all kinds of other persecutions. Uh, and think for instance, see how, see how, see how um, ready those who are opposed uh, to God and opposed to Christ and opposed to the gospel and opposed to the standards uh, of the gospel, the ethics. Of the gospel Isn't, doesn't appall you the, the the lengths to which some of these people are willing to go to go in their opposition to deprive a family man of his employment reduce him to poverty eh? we've had an instance of that wasn't was it in, with regard to the free the, the free church elder or office where at least uh, down in the, the Stirling congregation. That woman, a chair, chairman or chair, chairperson, she went livid when she heard that uh, <coughs> the, the premises uh, were being rented out to a church that didn't, um, didn't uh, agree with her particular view of things. The arrogance, but quite happy to put this man out of his employment. Think of, think of the the case in uh, in the case of the I can't remember the family at the moment in Ireland, where an an, an endeavour was made to to chuck, shut down a business, put them out of work. The lengths uh, to it and. Don't think that they wouldn't even go to the length of taking life now for people of Christian views. I think it's, I'm sure many of you at least will be aware of John Lennox, that brilliant mathematician. That I'm not sure, I think it's Cambridge. He's a, and he, he tells, he records in one of his books, and I can't remember the name of the book at the moment, where some highly intelligent, highly qualified, one of these academics in America. And on a programme, he said that this man was uh, advocating that uh, men and women with Christian views, that they should be eliminated. He wasn't saying that with his tongue-in-cheek. He meant it. That's the way uh, people... And there's that kind of thinking seeping into um, in amongst the, the authorities in government and in other fields uh, we, have to, we have to be alert to it uh, who knows what persecution may still come upon us even in this beloved country uh, of ours Uh, it, it, it looks as if that kind of 
discard will remain until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. See, isn't it interesting? Is it in, in uh, yes, Genesis chapter 3, the words of the Lord, of God to, uh, to Satan. And I, he says, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust uh, all the days of you. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Notice the order. The enmity is not on the part of, of um, the seed of the woman. It's on the part of the seed of the serpent. Between you, he says, uh, between, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And seed here is in a capital S, of course, looking to the seed promised to Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour of sinners. Uh, forgive me for just going off. Now, th this <clears throat> this fear, the fear of man, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ seeks to <coughs> counter and to discourage and prevent. Notice how um, he says so em emphatically when he says... Um, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power. No, sorry, verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can. Don't be afraid of them. And you might say, well, um, that's easier said uh, than done. Don't be afraid of them. Why? Because they can only kill the body. But there's more to human nature than a body. As, you, as this is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew in the 10th, 10th chapter we're told there about the body and soul and that there is no no possibility of killing the soul and the soul is the essential part of human nature that is the seat the very seat of our person and of our uh, personality the soul is the, the most important part and the seat of our person. The soul is spiritual. You can do, you, 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 can, you can handle, you can inflict uh, physical pain on your body, but the soul is spirit. You can't handle the spirit, the soul, and the soul is immortal. It is eternal and it bears the image of God himself. The image of God is reflected uh, especially in the soul. So we ought to keep that in mind and that's one of the reasons why um, the Lord is encouraging his disciples, don't be afraid of what they can do to your body. Your body will have to die in any case, one way or the other. But they can't do anything uh, to your soul. That is a great, a great comfort. And um, I read, read recently, can't remember just now where, where someone was, was uh, martyred. And he was taken prison, and uh, the man in charge orders his, his henchmen to 
strip him. And the man returned him quite calmly. Don't bother, I'll take off my own clothes. You can do what you like to my body, but the once you do kill my body, you'll only be dispatching my soul into heaven, to glory, to be with my Lord and my Saviour, Jesus Christ. So do what you want. There was someone who indeed was taking the teaching of Christ here absolutely seriously. They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. And uh, uh, I, I think I'd better try and overtake uh, some, some, some of the rest of what I tried to prepare. And, well, the soul, I said, is the most essential part of you. And it, it survives, survives death. The body may collapse, may be reduced eh, to the dust, but the soul is free. It survives. It's, it survives physical death. And what do, does the, what does the scripture teach us? What does catechism tell us concerning the souls of believers? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Immediately. That must be a wonderful transformation or a, a, a wonderful change in the experience of the soul of the believer. Entering into that heavenly bliss welcomed into heaven itself and how that ought to encourage uh, us as believers to look beyond physical death the moment at your death made perfect in holiness delivered from a corrupt body uh, delivered from all sin that it has been experienced that law in its in your member delivered from that no more sin and made perfectly blessed able to enter into the full enjoyment of God to all eternity think of beyond Death, you uh, go to that place where um, where our Lord went to prepare a place for His people, uh, and His own prayer, Father, I will that those whom You have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold My glory. What a prospect. And the Apostle John, recalling that, says, we shall, when he shall come, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Like him not only in our souls, but also in our bodies. And perhaps just to put it, there is a full a full personality restoration the body and soul a, a perfect a new body perfectly holy united a sanctified body as you say united to a sanctified and glorified soul the capacity that that will bestow upon each individual privileged to know that change and transformation the capacity that will give us to know and enjoy fellowship 
with God as it was intended in the beginning throughout an endless eternity. Without if we could if if believers could keep that prospect, that glorious hope in mind and in view, even in a situation when you're faced even with a cruel death, like Stephen was stoned to death, perhaps even uh, hand as many of the covenanters were, beheaded, whatever form uh, the, the death might, might take. And the prospect of that, laying hold of the hope the, of, of glory. But quickly, the other fear ah, that our Lord uh, encourages and commends when he says, he says, but I, he says, will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, <coughs> fear him. See how, see how emphatic he is. Yes, he says and he repeats it. I say to you, fear him. Who ha, who can give testimony or witness to the need for fearing a righteous and a holy God more competently than the one who experienced that God's wrath and curse due to us for our sins. Surely Someone who has that experience. He's, he's experienced. And we ought to believe him. This is something from which you and I should dread. Dread with all our, our ability to do so. Isn't that what John the Baptist did? He said to the people of Flee, he said, from the wrath to come. And what an awful wrath that must be. Scripture doesn't hide it from us. Take, for instance, the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And when death overtook them. What a difference there was. Angels bore the soul of, of um, Lazarus to the bosom of Abraham. Now these, that's metaphorical language. I'm not going to go into that. But the other one, he opened his eyes it says, in torment. In the place of torment. And in the place of woe. And urged Abram to send some so that he could get a drop of water to cool his tongue in this torment. Now that's that's very sort of that's very dramatic language. And so and perhaps me, perhaps metaphorical language just like language you read of um, in uh, other parables I'm not saying that that's what it was but the enemies uh, of the gospel those who the liberals and people who don't want to take the word of God and its teaching uh, they try to uh, water things down and change things down no, don't, don't don't get don't get upset. Don't get um, worried or anything. They want they want to say to people, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But there is every reason, friends, to be absolutely concerned about landing in such a place because metaphorical language or otherwise, it means that it is a state and a place that can only best be described 
از تارمند Professor Hodge, I read somewhere. I can't remember. Professor Charles Hodge, the, the well-known, uh, reformed uh, professor of theology uh, in Princeton, in America, in the 19th century. And in uh, encountering the liberals' treatment of these solemn truths and solemn realities, he says, he says, just by way of counting, well, okay, say it is metaphorical language. If it is, it's a metaphor for a reality. And the reality must be, must exceed the metaphorical language. It's just a metaphor. But what the reality must be like. And that's, I think, quite an acceptable. I find it uh, acceptable. Now, the language, you might, you might say, it doesn't. I'm not going to say won't do justice, but it can't. It can't reach, as it were, to really bring things as they are. That's the best way. Can, best way we can appreciate the reality that lies behind the metaphorical language and what an awesome reality it is. Speaking of a place of torment, where um, um, the, 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 the fire, the pain, in this pain, in a painful, painful place, a place that was prepared not for man, but for the devil and his angels. And that the man made in the image of God has now reached such a depth and such a measure of uh, uh, corruption and defilement that hell is the only suitable environment for him to spend an endless eternity. The smoke of their pain <coughs> ascends forever and forever. And just as surely as the bliss, the joy, the happiness of the believer who dies in Christ uh, is infinite and endless, so the misery, so the misery uh, is infinite and endless in the experience of all who go to a lost eternity. And little wonder, though John the Baptist would say, flee from the wrath that is to come. But not only John the Baptist, the Lord himself urged sinners in his day to do the same thing and to come unto him. And friend, if you're here and you don't, haven't come to a saving knowledge of Christ and trust in him as your saviour, I would urge all such to flee. To flee from that awful prospect. Flee where, you say? Offering free to the only place and to the only person, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For this man receives sinners and eateth with them. None perish who trust, who trust, uh, who trust in Him. If you do that, then when, no matter what form, death. It may, it may take in your experience you can look forward to his welcome uh, to his calmness 
and end upon the joy of your Lord. The joy that he himself has purchased at such great cost, freely bestowed uh, upon you. And, friend, uh, in the words of the, uh, the parable, come, for all things are now ready. And when the servants told the master, well, they had gone and they had taken and yet there is room and no matter friend who you are and what you are there is room this man receives sinners and eateth with them and I urge you as earnestly and as sincerely as I can don't let another minute pass put your trust and your confidence now for now is the acceptable time now is the day of salvation oh friend heed heed the warning on the one hand heed the invitation on the other may God grant it may the Lord bless these um, few thoughts upon his word seeing that the time is past. Let's close then. Sing to God's <laughs> praise. In Psalm 50, Psalm 50, the first version of the psalm, the mighty God the Lord, at the beginning, the mighty God the Lord has spoken Think of that. It's the word of God that we've been considering, considering this evening. And he's spoken. And he's spoken to each one of us through this word today and tonight. The mighty God, the Lord, has spoken. And he's spoken, uh, has, has spoken assuredly, powerfully, authoritatively, in his son Jesus Christ. The mighty God the Lord has spoken and did call the earth from rising up the sun to where he hath his fall. From out of Zion Hill, which of excellency and beauty the perfection is, God shined gloriously. He shines gloriously in the gospel of his grace. Our God shall surely come. Keep silence, shall not he. Before him fire shall waste, great storms shall round about him be. And to the heavens clear, he from above shall call, and to the earth likewise, that he may judge his people all. Together let my saints unto me gathered be. Those that by sacrifice have made a covenant with me, and then the heavens shall his righteousness declare, because the Lord himself is he by whom men judge it hard. Jesus is it six six stanzas or five. Psalm fifty, first version, from the beginning. Let's stand to sing. The mighty God the Lord has spoken. <laughs> The mighty Yeah.